0: What's with this band anyway? I don't get it, can you please explain? Wait, like, bands playing?
1: I am Yasi Salik, and this is Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult artists with the help of pedigreed experts who talk real good while I talk real bad. Today's episode is about the dream. If you don't know who the dream is, I do not blame you because I don't really know either. This is what the dream sounds like. Today's guest is a man with a cult fandom all his own, writer and podcaster Rob Harvilla of The Ringer fame. You may also know him from his gorgeous, wonderful podcast, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. Welcome to the show, Rob.
2: How you doing? It's an honor to be here. I, I have to tell you, I've been listening to your show for months. I've been preparing to be on your show for weeks. And I realized last night <laughs> that our shows both have splain in the name. I had not made that connection previously. I, I'm just It's very exciting. It's like, name a more iconic explanatory duo.
1: name a more iconic crossover moment absolutely full disclosure um i Mm -hmm.
0: have
1: very minimal familiarity with the dream yeah we are really doing this episode because you pitched a couple of ideas i sent them over to my right hand my the wind beneath my wings um mm. wh- without whose support i could not live producer dylan and producer dylan was like we have to do the dream the dream is the best i love the dream <laughs> and because like she is young and hip mm. and i was like well i'm kind of old and out of touch i'll listen to right. producer dylan so that's why we're doing the dream and i'm i'm here to be educated
2: i'm going to do my best it's it's a great task that i've set for myself i am old and hip Definitely old, questionably hip. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my very best for you today. Tragically hip, precisely.
1: Okay, so why don't you start from the beginning? Tell us who is the hyphen dream.
2: Right. This this is a very long answer. So whenever, if you want to just hit a gong, whenever you want me to stop <laughs> explaining. Uh, yes, the hyphen dream uh, for copyright reasons. The dream is an R&B singer and songwriter from Atlanta who emerged in the mid to late 2000s. His, his name is Terrius Nash. He was born in North Carolina, but he moved to Atlanta when he was two. He's from Atlanta. He sort of works at the nexus of R&B and rap and pop. Uh, I would say he is a superstar, A-list, game-changing songwriter and producer. Uh, he works often with a guy named Christopher Tricky Stewart. Uh, you know, pop songwriting is a group effort, like sort of a mysterious realm for we mortals. But like, if you know nothing about the dream, the first three songs you should know that he had a hand in writing and producing are Rihanna's Umbrella, In 2007. Beyonce's Single Ladies Put a Ring on it in
0: 2008.
2: And Justin Bieber's Baby in
1: 2010. Just like three little songs that Mm -hmm. no one's ever heard. (laughs)
2: Precisely. They mm-hmm. did mean, not
1: make anyone's careers. Abso-
2: yeah, they made his career. I mean, these these three songs alone comprise like just a full worldview, like a grand unified theory of, of R&B and rap and pop. And he's got credits on hundreds of songs, Me Against the World by Britney Spears, uh, Sierra's Ride, Mariah Carey's Touch My Body, like Beyonce's Countdown and Partition. Like wow. the, all of these songs together made him very rich and very powerful. And he parlayed this into sort of a cult song solo career as the dream, which began in 2007 and continues to this day, but like his first three albums, uh, Love Hate in 2007, Love Versus Money in 2009, and Love King in 2010, sort of stand apart as just these stupendous, mm. vibrant, ridiculous, lascivious, pristine, like r sex jam pantheons. You know, he, he I, I, I can dance around it, but I'm just I wish that you and I had had a prior face to face conversation before I just jumped on Zoom and just said sex jams to you. Like, sex
1: jams. I know that's true. I'm calling the police. I'm
2: Midwestern. <laughs> I was raised Catholic. This is a very unnatural mode for me. It's him. It's not me. It's him. Everything. <laughs> everything from this point forward is him. I as a solo artist, he's never had a hit remotely commensurate with Rihanna or Beyonce or Kanye or Drake or any of these people that he still works with. There's like a a pretty sharp low ceiling to his fame as a pop star in his own right. And that's, it has this weird dichotomy of making him both like this superstar a lister sort of pop star whisperer, but also like an underdog, you know, there, and as a musician, there's just this profound buoyant lightness to him, but also these glimpses of like a vast, personal darkness which we ought to address at some point like he he sings so tenderly and generously but is he he is also like kanye west caliber full of himself you know there's there's all this light and shadow to him that's really fascinating if you buy into him
1: why besides maybe the obvious do you think that he wanted to be a solo artist like do you feel that it was there was some artistic impulse that he was like, I have songs that I want to own, that these are really my songs and I want to sing them and I want them to be my songs? Um, I mean, everyone, I guess not everyone, a lot of people want to be famous. So that's low hanging fruit. Right. But like to put that much of your heart and soul into it for this sure. long and to be an artist like there has to be some impulse past fame, right?
2: No, I think so. I His his mother died when he was a teenager, I believe, somewhere in the mid-90s. And he, he talks a lot about how she played him, like Al Green and Sam Cooke. If I'm not mistaken, he did like a Sam Cooke covers album. It might have been like a title-only deal. I'm not quite sure the deal. But I think instilled in him at that point was like respect for the greats. And this is, of course, Michael and Prince and R. Kelly and stuff like that. But he just, it was instilled in him that he wanted to be great like that. And I think that did get tied up with his mother and what his mother had taught him and played right. for him. And he he started writing songs when his mother died, is how he puts it. And I believe the last song on his first record, On Love, Hate, is about his mother. And it, it's very touching and beautiful. And so if you're looking for motivation, yes, beyond the obvious, I think that's it.
1: Why don't we play a song Sometimes we would say, hey, here's the song, you know, but do you think there is one of those? And if not, why don't we hear a song to start?
2: I definitely don't think there is a solo the dream song that, you know, I I think we should start with a song that he wrote. Okay. And made popular. And I, I am operating under the assumption that nobody needs to hear "Umbrella" again, Rihanna's "Umbrella." Ella. But yes, but, but that is the key, I think, to his whole career. Ella, 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 A, 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 unlocks his whole career. Like the idea that perfect pop songs arrive as thunderbolts to you the listener and you want to believe that they arrived that way to the songwriter as well. But like the way songs are written is like somebody in a studio, you know, just speaking, singing nonsense syllables for 12 hours over a, a, a drum loop until they get like the right thing in their head. And so Ella, 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 you're left wondering, like, is this song done? You know, like, did he do this on purpose? Right. Like a crucial feeling to have during a song that involves the dream is just, what? I, and so that, that was so perfectly encapsulated on Umbrella. But I think everybody has heard Umbrella. And so I want to play you a song called Bed by an artist named Jay Holiday, a, an R&B singer from DC. This was in 2007. Uh, Jay Holiday is a better singer than The Dream, which feels important to say. He has like more range. There's more flamboyance. He just sounds more like an aspiring pop star. But this is Jay Holiday's big moment. I don't want to denigrate him at all. I'm sure he's doing great. But I saw Jay Holiday sing this song in a j music and computer world in lower Manhattan in 2009. It was a big moment for me. You know, he, he never quite made it the way the dream would go on to make it. But The Bed was my favorite song for three years from the moment it came out. 2007 to the end of the decade, this was my favorite song. It's just such a beautiful and witty and hilarious and ridiculous sex jam. And I I still, I listened to it. You said it again. I did, I'm gonna, oh God. I. <laughs> This is one of my favorite songs of all time. It is Bed by Jay Holiday, co written and co produced by The Dream.
1: Okay, that was Bed by Jay Holiday. As a woman who also likes to be mm. infantilized because it makes me feel small. Mm. And. As a person who does work nine to five and stay cute, this song did speak to me.
2: I'm really glad. I'm really relieved to hear that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's good. I could hear the Ella, 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 A in the just A, A, A. He does that. I see that that's a that's a technique. That's it's, a mechanism. It's a, it's a
2: motif. It will reoccur for the rest of his career, the dream's career, whether he's he's singing or not. Like these melodies and these riffs and it's 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 him reminding you of his past successes more than anything else. But yeah, it it is a nice through line to all the ridiculousness to come.
1: I've said this on the show before, but I just need to bring it up again that like after dating several musicians and learning that all the words they put into songs are not 1,000% deeply felt and mean, and they're just kind of trying to shoehorn what sounds good into the song, I've never been able to look at music the same. It's all I'm, a lie. You've might have just been dating it's the wrong all fucking, musicians. That's another podcast. Well... <laughs> Talk I, to me about bed.
2: Bed. I... The key to that song, the other key to that song is the line, I'm going to send you out into the world with my love, which I have always found absurd, but also like legitimately touching because the woman gets to leave at the end of the song and I think that's really nice. If these songs do not grant the woman involved like an interior life, at least she gets an exterior life. You know what I'm saying? Like she's <laughs> she's not like a cardboard cutout that the the singer is singing to or or, or humping. You know what I'm saying? Like there's 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 actual. Sure. I am granting you some label level of 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 agency at least theoretically. And I, I've always found that enormously touching and I have just always fantasized about singing this song at karaoke. But then I like, I, I picture the faces of the other people in the room as I'm singing this song and as they're grasping the lyrics <laughs> and the concept of this song. And I'm like, no, I should never do this even if I was you know vocally capable of doing this. It's a very complex series of reactions I have. But yeah, I just, I, I loved this song. They it would, would be, be extremely upset. upset. It, would, it would be an HR situation yeah. whether I worked with those people <laughs> (laughs) Or not
1: (laughs) they would go talk to their personal HR
2: so I I don't know I just this was the iTunes era you know where I would click on my top 25 played iTunes songs and just be like yes this is my personality and bed was number one again from you know for three to four to five years and i i don't know what that says about me, it's
1: alar- <laughs> <It's> alarm- <laughs> to me. you know you know <laughs> but- what it says
2: about me and i'm glad that you know though i am a little alarmed to find out that you are alarmed i'm learning this now 13 14 years later this has all been a terrible mistake
1: um well i I think that's a really generous read that you, he's giving the woman agency and not that he's, like, sending right. her on her way because, like, his Get wife out of will my be house. home soon. Or whatever. <laughs> that would be, have, can that you would be go, interpretation. Can you go now back to your nine-to-five yes. job? Bye-bye. Um, okay, well, I think one thing I was thinking while I was listening to that song was that, like, because that song came out, what, in, like, 2007? Seven. I think I looked it up, yeah. Um, how much r&b and not all r&b but like r&b was at one time like kind of one of the most popular genres in pop and on the radio and stuff and it kind of fell away for a while and i think while it fell away i'm riffing here i have no facts to base this uh, (laughs) um While it fell away, it kind of got freed up to become weirder.
2: I think that's very true.
1: And that song is kind of weird. Like, it's kind of a weird R&B song. It's kind of spare. Like, there's lots Mm -hmm. of drums.
3: uh,
1: No, I know what you're saying. It sounds, again, like the Ella, Ella,
2: Ella. Mm -hmm. It sounds half finished. It sounds like 70 to 80% Mm -hmm. done. It sounds skeletal. You know, sometimes he'll use, like, presets on GarageBand or whatever for his drum patterns, and people are like, "How can you do that?" And he's like, "You make a hit song with this." Like he's, it's he works so fast. <laughs> the Dream does it is as a writer and as a, as, right. as a star, and he's so prolific, and he's just pounding these songs out, and he's doing them so incredibly fast. And part of the reason is because they are allowed to emerge into the world and sometimes be huge hits, sounding like not, I think, incomplete, but incomplete in a way that feels right and weird is definitely it's okay. very weird. Everything the dream does good bad or ill is is very weird.
1: Which might explain why he never got a uh, pop star famous sure. but we'll get there. Um why don't we hear a song that is by the hyphen dream himself just as a comparison. Absolutely. Point. Yeah,
2: also in 2007 he put out his first album which was called Love Hate um, he had a couple minor hits off this album that I could play for you but won't there was one called shoddy is the shit there was one called I love your girl I feel ridiculous saying both of those titles to you but I've committed you know the whole album is incredible it's hooky and it's body and it's silly I I wish I didn't have to say this, but the truth is, that I don't think there is a single artist more important as a precedent for the dream than R. Kelly. I, I think that I think that the dream took a great deal from R. Kelly in terms of making these sort of boudoir situations, but making them silly and making them witty mm-hmm. and making them fun. There is the dream will go on to write a song. I think it's on his third album called Kelly's Twelve Play, which is about having sex to the first R. Kelly album and you know it's still on streaming today like he he is committed to this and so i there's two songs on love hates that that stay with me and the first one is called falsetto and the premise of falsetto is i am going to make love to you with such vigor that you're going to sing in falsetto and for the chorus to this song i will demonstrate how you're going to sing In falsetto. And so the chorus of this song is the dream simulating having sex with a dream. And at this point the woman ain't even gotta be there.
1: I like how you're just like barreling through this as if like I don't need time. (laughs) process I feel like if I (laughs) like what you're saying I I could pack a (laughs) lot of HR
2: violations into a small space and just (laughs) sort of blow past you is is the idea like I'm just I'm just inundating you so
1: this is an auto sex I don't I don't
2: think that he intended it that way but I I find sometimes (laughs) with the dreams loopier boudoir situations that they're so detailed and designed and art directed and stage directed that you think like if the woman left the room would he even notice you know like you just go you and you take the woman out of the room and he's still in there like yes look at this look at these candles like there, there's a point where the staging becomes more erotic than the act itself and this is where the dream seems to thrive.
1: Should we hear the clip of this uh, auto-sex chorus that you speak of?
2: Please, please, please play falsetto. And I'm going to go dig a hole and lie in it for a while. Okay. (laughs) This is as ridiculous as I have ever felt in my whole entire life.
1: You did this to yourself. I just want you. You. I'm going to need a
2: great deal of therapy. You think you're going to need therapy after this, but
1: um, no idea. I lost my virginity to a Juggalo, babe, so <laughs> there's never going to be enough therapy okay. to save me. Don't you worry about me. Uh, okay. What's a really good song off of Love Hate? And maybe do you want to pick one that's like. Here's where you really hear the R. Kelly homage, or do you just want to pick one that's like really, really good?
2: I think Nikki hits both. I think Nikki is is one of the Dreams' signature songs. I and it's sort of the flip side to Falsetto. It's like a breakup song. It's wounded. It's resentful. It's about his new woman. I've been making love to Nikki. I and I there's plenty of mm. resentful R. Kelly songs. Too. and i as the dream's sure. career and personal life in the public eye evolves like it's a battle between the bliss of falsetto and sort of the fury of this song of nicky it's like a, it's a very satisfying insolent resentful song and nicky as a character and as an idea will pop up in his work from now on i i don't remember who said it but i saw something once that like someone said that this song directly fuels kanye west's 808s and heartbreak which which came out in two thousand eight, and just had a very similar sound and a very similar vibe. It's just like I am a sad, wronged, disgruntled man slowly fusing with my computer, and and that's that's all conveyed by Nikki. Which I, is definitely one of the Dream's Oof. very <sighs> best songs. You're gonna love it. I, I guarantee you, you're going to love this song.
1: Okay, let's hear Nikki off Love Hate. Hey. Okay, I don't know how to say this, so I'll just say it. This song has the energy of like when a guy comes up to you at the bar and is like, hey, you're so beautiful. You know, what's up? And you're like, oh, you know, I'm not really interested. And he's like, whatever, you're fucking ugly anyway. Is that like,
2: is that bad?
1: That's what this song sounds like to me. Is that bad? <laughs> um, when someone like that, it's I, like,
3: that's fair, babe.
1: Why are you so mad? Why are you so mad, babe, at the person that you seem to say that you don't care? You said you erased them from your mind. You wrote a whole angry song about them. Like
2: many thousands of songs.
1: I would be very upset. Arguably,
2: yes. Yeah, The way he he keeps singing, she loves me back, and it's degrading. Like, yeah, I I don't think it's hard to tell what's actually happening here. Yeah.
1: Okay, I have a question here. I assume that the dreams you know, a formidable power in make, become, being a hit maker is what got him, you know, the license and ability to make his own album, sure. right? Like someone was like, okay, we'll put no, out absolutely. your solo album. Yes. How was it received?
2: It was received very well, but as a cult phenomenon, as a critical phenomenon. I the, These first three records were very well reviewed, you know, and like year-end lists and stuff like that. By, by, men by men like, like myself <laughs> who rule the world, or at least did at this time. But the streets I, did not get well, what I, you're
1: saying. The streets in was terms not of like this. chart
2: placement, no, they were not.
1: Why do you think, I'd like for you to speculate on why the dream did not get the radio and, and top 40 love that you and your critic friends believe he richly deserved.
2: And that's sort of the fascinating thing about him is that he is both ubiquitous and sort of unknown. You know, he was, when he, when he started out, people would write things like he's going to be the next Neo or the next Usher or something. And it just, it was never, ever mm-hmm. going to happen like that. And I, I, if that's the weirdness and sort of the scabrousness of his music, if that is, he's just not, he just doesn't have the look. He just doesn't have the vibe he just did not have the intangible you know overpowering star power that a rihanna has that a beyonce has that kanye has jay-z usher whoever you want to name all these people who still work with the dream to this day mariah carey he is he is capable of of singing through them using them as his mouthpiece or singing alongside them, helping them. But he just, he cannot stand up there by himself and be that guy. And I, I do think at the bottom, it is just an intangible thing. I mean, he's not like a, he's, he's a fine looking, handsome enough dude. You know, he's, he's not like a troll or anything, but it's just, he's on, he was on the cover of Vibe, I believe the last cover a vibe with Christina Milian and it's like it's like a sexy shoot you, you know like modeled after the the Janet Jackson Rolling Stone cover and and he just he has a look on his face that's just not quite comfortable you know he's he's comfortable with the nudity aspect but he's not quite comfortable with the magazine cover aspect it's just i i You know, I I can't speak for everyone else who loved the Dream critics and otherwise, you know, at the time that he was at his height, but I don't think it's that we were upset or we were rooting for him to sort of break that ceiling and become (laughs) this huge star. I think part of what was so appealing about him is that he'd made it as far as he'd made it and he could filter a song as weird as Umbrella, you know, to the right A-lister who could make it a huge pop smash. And I don't think there was anyone other than Rihanna was going to be able to do that. But there was no one else but the Dream who would have written, co-written that song in the first place. Like, he's he's just weird enough to make it big, but not big enough. That, that sort of weirdness subsides.
1: I thought only women had to be hot to be famous. And it turns out I was wrong.
2: You know, it, it helps to look like Usher, or at <laughs> least to dance like Usher, if you want. You know, he, 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 he has songs where he talks about not being able to dance like oh, usher, sure, you know, as much rubbing as we do, we can start a fire. Like he's, he's, he's self-deprecating about these things. He needs, he seems to know his ceiling as like any kind of sex symbol, you know, in purely the magazine cover sense. But it, it was pretty clear even from this record that if, if you buy into this, like here's somebody you can get behind, who's never going to rise above a certain level, who is always going to be yours and is never going to be, you know, folded into the mainstream as like a pop star in his own right. Yeah. You know, how the, the thing of artists who own singing one word, you know, like Trent Reznor is the best at rhyming mm-hmm. whole and soul. For example, the dream is the best yeah. at singing the word Patron.
3: Got on the some Patron.
0: Get some Patron. Sure, Patron. Patron. Patron.
2: There's constant references to Patron in interviews. He's drinking Patron and Sprite like seventy five percent of the time. Like this is his thing, and it's just, it's. Is he sponsored? I assume. I have never looked into that, but like he had better be. He's left a lot of money on the table if he is not. But it's just I have always admired his commitments to Patron, you know. And I just he he finds a new way, a new emphasis, a new way to sing it every time, and it's it's a lovely thing to me.
1: And. I have to mention here that producer Dylan has told me that she used to buy Patron when she was living in a punk house in West Oakland um, and got ready to go to the dream show and blacked out on it when she was 19.
2: (laughs) It just felt important. That's very important.
1: I'm dying to say that there's also Tom DeLonge says, Where are you the best out of anyone else? Where are you?
2: I'm glad that you said that. It's true.
1: Okay, why don't you play me a song? You know what? Why don't you play us a song? We're all in this together. That you think is the one that you're like. I can't believe this wasn't a hit though. Like this is a hit. This should have been a hit.
2: I would love to live in a world where "Sweat It Out" had been a big hit. I I don't I I, I can't I don't have an answer to the question. Of what's a song that should have been? Because I I think sort of key to his appeal is there's no song that you're like. Oh, that definitely should have been a number one hit. Like I I love that this tried, but didn't quite make it. I think it's perfect for what it is, which is a very weird, but very sweet, again, sort of sex jam. It's called Sweat It Out. It is on his second album, 2009's Love Versus Money. And it is about having sex with a woman who just got her hair done and thereby ruining her new hairdo. This is the concept of the song. Ugh. He is apologetic who hasn't about this set of circumstances. And again, my favorite part of this song is right at the end when he sings, so go on about your day. And I I know it's coming. It's not like an ad lib. It's not like a major part of the song. But again, it is sung so tenderly, so disarmingly that it gets me every time. And again, it's this idea that he's at least trying to humanize these women that he's singing to and about you know it's it, as you say it's like the, it's the difference between i will now permit you to leave so you can go on with your life and like get out of my house you know there's another woman coming in 10 minutes like you can decide his motivations but it's 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 a very it's just such a sweet and weird and tender song about a very very specific thing and it is uh sweated out by the dream
0: think me now
1: I take it all Necklace. that was sweat it out um I do hear what you're saying this song is I think it's quite rare maybe I'm wrong but I'll just say it because that's how we' that's mm-hmm. how we roll here on bands plane you don't hear that many extremely specific R right. songs like or pop sure. songs in general right they tend to be pretty general because that's the whole thing about pop like you know that you want all your listeners to be able to apply it to their life but this song is extremely specific and that makes it so cool and interesting
2: Yes. yes he's he's got a concept and again i that's a very r kelly conceit is to find some very specific and silly way to come at it but still, in keeping with like an r and b song with a pop song with at least theoretically a radio song i it's as you can hear in almost every song he does, the dream refers to himself as the radio killer and the r and b gorilla
3: radio My love when I do this.
2: and there are many more people who would be who would mm-hmm. more aptly refer to themselves as the radio killer and so i He was referring to his songwriting when he says that, but he's saying it on his solo songs. And I I like that he is imagining a world where these very specific and bizarre R&B songs are actually killing it on the radio. That's that's a very lovely sentiment.
1: Rob, at this time, we're going to tap in producer Dylan because she would like to challenge your choice for a song that should have been a pop smash
2: all right let's do it come
1: on down producer dylan here i am coming
4: down to the rodeo producer dylan here um you know Sweat It out is cool yeah um
2: but it's wrong
4: i feel like there is a spirit of joy in so many of his songs and we haven't hit the ones that tap into that the most
1: I so yeah. you heard <laughs>
4: i think what really contributed to his like cult status was mm-hmm. right when he came out it was kind of like this moment of peak hipster optimism. yeah and it was also this peak moment of like indie dance pop was like hot or just sort of like tapering off chill Way was just coming in and like the drive soundtrack was huge you know and like there's yes. songs like Mostly off of his second album, Love King, where he brings in these sounds and they're kind of just like irresistible pop songs. Like at the dream shows, I feel like that's what people go crazy for. Yamaha, Fall in Love Again, Love King.
2: Yes. His actual radio minor, very minor, like scraping the bottom of the top 40 radio hits are, what are they? Love King. Uh, probably showing the, the shit. shit. I, yeah, yeah. And and it's, it's, yes, joy is a major factor in what makes him so great. Of those, I think Yamaha, Yamaha is the best of those. Yeah.
1: It's flawless. Yeah. Let's just point out that there was utility to bringing producer Dylan in here because producer dylan as she pointed out was 19 years old during this time that's, as horrifying as that very, fact is very disturbing for myself and probably even more horrifying yeah, yeah. for rob so, who's older than me I if wish, i haven't pointed that out yeah yet.
2: i think you have
1: significantly yeah. not older
2: significantly older
1: okay <laughs> <laughs> and while they were both paying close attention to the dream, um, you know, Dylan was like a cool young girl that was hip and with it. Rob was mm. a critic, and I was really drunk, um, and talking so I don't weekend. remember any music yeah. that came out during this time. I was simply talking to The Weekend and playing uh, Ride It, My Pony by Genuine, mm. uh weekly at the Cha Cha. Weekly. So, mm. weekly. I don't have a dog in this race, is what I'm saying. So it's nice to hear the two... The two genders, if you will, <laughs> of the dream fandom. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to keep making the people wait? I will not make a sex joke for Yamaha or can you just do give it to them? Yamaha?
2: Yamaha is on, I believe, his third record, Love King. Uh, it should be illegal to compare people to Prince, I think, uh, as someone who does it all the time, but it, it is. As, as whimsical, megalomaniacal one-man-band sex jam virtuosos go, uh, the dream is working in that lineage. This, this is Little Red Corvette. Just it, this is a, a a loving homage to Little Red Corvette, right down to you know, shall I compare thee to a motor vehicle? And I yes, if there, yes, producer Dylan has answered your question that I flubbed, is if there is one dream song that might have conceivably been a number one, sung by the dream, it is Yamaha, off Love King. Let's hear
1: it. Let's hear it. I love to be compared to a motor vehicle.
0: Every time I mention you, I'll say Yamaha, Yamaha, Boy oh
1: Yamaha. I think it is legal to compare people to Prince when the song sounds like they were heavily inspired by a specific yes. Prince song. Right.
2: That's like they just, he broke into Paisley Park, you know, and just, just used all of Prince's equipment and rewrote a Prince song
1: slightly. I can really hear what producer Dylan was saying about the time of the Drive soundtrack. <laughs> right. And how that may have had some influence or vice versa on this type of music coming from the dream.
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Dance music that you can theoretically intellectualize, you know, that that, that seems to be smarter, seems to be wittier, seems to be funnier, seems to be more thoughtful in some way. I, I think there's definitely a, a through line there in terms of, you know, teaching the indie kids to dance again. <laughs>
1: I blacked out this period of time yes. both literally and figuratively for specific reasons because I think I feel that culture was like literally abominable <laughs> during this time it was like the ugliest versions of everything I mean, people started wearing Japanese souvenir jackets <laughs> because of the film. Do you know what I'm saying? It was
2: Yeah, with the the is it a cobra or a scorpion? I forget. Some, I was somebody was talking about something on the internet where their boyfriend based their entire lifestyle and personality after the dude in drive and and just didn't say anything <laughs> and she only realized in retrospect. That that's what he had done, but yes, there there was a lot of that happening, and through a certain prism, uh, abominable is 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 not the wrong word.
1: It was just a gross <laughs> time, <laughs> I think, for fashion, for culture. Um, it was it was hipster, it was peak hipster. Yes. And as somebody who um, did have a Janet from Three's Company mm-hmm. haircut in two thousand, I don't know, two, three, four, I want to say. I'm into it. Okay. The first song was angry and I didn't like it. Um, This song was really fun. I don't know how to, his voice isn't engaging me. And and that's what I was going to kind of point out when we were talking about maybe why he didn't make it crossover wise, like looks might've had to do with it, but like, you know, I think Usher is attractive and Neo is attractive, but like, they're not like, Tyrese. Right, right. But their voices are... Hunnier, mm-hmm. they're warmer. They're they're what I think of when I think of R and B. And maybe The Dream's voice isn't. Is that unfair? Am I just no? Not that is absolutely enough?
2: fair. I mean, it it goes all the way back to like Jay Holiday. If Jay Holiday could write mm-hmm. songs like Bed, then this would be Jay Holiday's career, and maybe there would be a higher ceiling for that version of the person who wrote. And sung these songs, but I the dream has a very limited vocal range and a very limited emotional range. It's 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 very flat. <laughs> it's very consistent. And if you buy into sort of the extended universe of it, then then you buy into it. But I here's what I want to do. I want to play you a Mariah Carey song. Let's 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 cleanse Yay. the palate because. <laughs> Something that people, at least critics, said a lot about the dream in this era is that I, there was a New York Times thing that said he helped define the sound of female R&B, specifically that he had a specific acumen as a songwriter to speak to and about and through women. And that applies to Rihanna and Beyonce. Uh, it's it's like the thing, like, like people on Twitter start dunking on Jonathan Franzen because he can't write female characters or whatever. It's just that the person who had a hand at least in writing the line if you like it then you should have put a ring on it has somehow sort of zeroed in on, on how to really push the sound and the idea and the concept of female R&B forward and the 2009 Mariah Carey album Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel. Uh, the Dream and Christopher Tricky Stewart uh, wrote, co-wrote and produced the whole of it. It's not Mariah's best album, but I. she sounds loose. She sounds like she's having fun. She sounds liberated in a way she doesn't necessarily sound on other albums where she's specifically talking about being liberated. And the song is called Up Out My Face. There's a moment late in this song where she talks about two Lego blocks being separated by the Harvard University graduating class of 2010, and somebody laughs in the background, and I'm almost sure that that's the dream, and you can Hear the dream so clearly, just the voice, the inner voice, the songwriting voice in that moment. And it's very refreshing to have it sung by someone who can sing as well as Mariah
1: Carey. Let's do it. In class of
0: 2010,
1: Okay, I just have to say it. that part that you referenced before gave me very, uh, the men at the music business conference.
0: If we were go even the Hall university graduating class of
1: 2010, couldn't put us back together again.
2: Right, right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Lana Del Rey. So maybe yes.
1: Lana heard that. Also, I was thinking about what you said w- about the dream writing for women. That's it. What was occurring to me is that his brand of, like, burning resentment is more palatable <laughs> when delivered by a woman, maybe. Or just more delightful when delivered by a woman. Like, the same the same voice that says, like, if you like then you should put a fucking ring on it, bitch. And this song that's like, get the fuck out of my face, is very fun when you hear a woman say it. But then when you hear the dream say it it's alarming. no it is
2: eight thousand scary <laughs> if not eighty thousand percent more fun to hear mariah or or anyone sing it than, and yeah and it's just if you were put off by the resentment if you were put off by nikki then it's 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 gonna get darker from here but yes that it, it is absolutely true that he's he can be fun and he can be silly but he can also be just just hugely full of himself and hugely insolent and resentful and that's going to continue to color his music mm mm-hmm. Drake is somebody who I think he influenced a lot. Like The Dream has the best song on the first official Drake record. Um, thank me later, in my opinion. And Drake is someone who went on to write many, many, many insolent, resentful songs, you know, about the women who wronged him, you know, and plenty of people are turned on by that, and plenty of people are turned off by that. But there's just some tangible quality that Drake had that made that marginally more palatable coming from Drake than it did from the dream.
1: Who is allowed to be angry is the question. Kanye is allowed to be angry.
2: Lana Del Rey on Instagram is allowed. (laughs) This is the point... Roundabouts 2011, where the Dream, where the fact that the Dream has put out three albums and doofy critics like me liked them, but they did not sell. This is going to start being a problem. Like his next album is one of these deals where it's delayed 500 times, it is retitled and given a new track list 500 times, and it becomes this arduous sort of industry fiasco and it does eventually come out but it's his personal life is also sort of darkening and so the next big thing that he does is in 2011 he releases i don't know how it was termed it was a it's a free download i don't think he wanted it called a mixtape but it was a free album called 1977 that he released as terrius nash which Mm -hmm. i'm sure was some sort of you know stick to the the industry people who wouldn't let him release the next Dream album. And it's dark. It's beautiful. And it's melodic. And it's recognizably him and has the recognizable appeal of him. But it's like, there's a song called Wedding Crashers, right? And you're like, oh, man, this is gonna be great. I love this movie. And it's like, I'm sorry I crashed your wedding. Let me sing you my drunk song. I'm alone with my bottle of Patron. And it's like, oh, no, like even the Patron, you know, has turned against him.
3: I hate to have to crash your (laughs)
2: there is one song on this record that I do need I think that you should play it is it is Unpleasant in a very enjoyable way, if that makes any sense. It is called Real. I have a feeling this is not the actual title of the song, but as far as streaming services are concerned, it's called Real. It features Pharrell. It is brash. It is boisterous. They are listing their possessions, and it includes the line, and I am paraphrasing slightly, but the dream sings, Ever seen somebody buy a house from the toilet? And this image... Wow. This image is a lot to take in, you know, take your time. If you want to take a walk, whatever you got to do. It's like, it's awesome that he can do that. It's very sad that he did that. And it is hilarious that he is bragging about doing that, like laughing with you, not at you. Hilarious. Like this is, it's, it's just a line that stops you in your tracks every single time and it's like I am worried about this person but this person can still delight me what does that say about me what does that say about him
1: the yasi solid yeah. story. <laughs> um okay let's hear the song seen a
3: buy a
0: house from the toilet Had a boat to the cart? Click, yes Bought it
1: okay well that's a departure
2: how, how'd that go for you that's not how you buy a boat i'm almost positive i have never bought a boat but you you can't hey, can you, you can't put it a boat the in a cart that's ridiculous
1: i think maybe you I can i mean you can put a lot I of things guess. in the cart you can buy a car on that's ebay that's
2: true have you done that
1: you know what i'm saying why yeah, not a boat Okay.
2: all right you convinced me how'd, that, how'd um, that go for you how you feeling
1: that was fun okay
2: that was fun <laughs> 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 yeah totally Totally fun for everyone involved. Yes.
1: Here's the thing <laughs> angry works here. Mm-hmm. This like defiant anger sort of petulance, like works in this context.
2: Yes. It's uh, another great subject of dream songs going forward is all, all the Holly's imitators, you know, and all, all his detractors, all his haters, et cetera, et cetera. And yes. That is as a sex neutral. Area of grievance for him. <laughs> it is a relief, you know, at least that he is emerging from the bedroom, you know, to yell at people from his porch this time, I suppose, or his boat uh, or his toilet. I, yes, no, I, I, I understand. <laughs> I understand completely what you're saying. This, un- unfortunately, most of the resentful songs to come are romantic, are sexual still. But, but yes, this is a departure in that sense and, and a blessed one, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It it bears saying that I I think it was in 2015 he was brought up on domestic abuse charges. He was accused of assaulting his pregnant then girlfriend. He went to court, and those charges were dismissed in 2015. You know, in in the realm. Most of like the reporting on this is in the realm of sort of TMZ and gossip blogs. It gets sort of nebulous, but like that he went to court, that he was charged with these things and that those charges were dismissed is, is a matter of public record. And it, it, it didn't seem really to affect his standing, you know, that he's on, you know, a Megan The Stallion and Beyonce song, you know, six years later that he's putting out, you know, four volume sex tapes you know, a couple years later, I it's 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 hard to say if this is something that just didn't get the play that it should have or people just dismissed it. I you, you never quite know what people are thinking, but that did happen. And just, it, it does not harmonize well with just the resentment, the bleakness, the anger, the constant lashing out at all of his exes in, you know, 40% of his songs, you know, and more like 60% of his songs in the last five years or so. This is both an easy person to root for and a hard person to root for. Got it. I think you have to have completely bought in at this point to still be on this journey with him. I think his last official record at this point was SXTP4, which is Sex Tape 4. Of course, that was 2020.
1: Don't you think most artists like if you're not totally obsessed with them by the time they hit their fourth or fifth album, like you're either in it or you're not.
2: Yes, but I think that this is somehow an extreme case because he just keeps burrowing further inward. You know, and and again, he started out as a person who could be both buoyant and sort of off-puttingly resentful. And it's just he he's leaning far more to the resentful side now. He said once, like in a New York Times interview, it's like the only person touching me is Kanye, and he meant as an artist. But what like what he really means is like as an ego.
1: Right.
2: And I, you know, if if we want to put a positive, a loving spin on in that, then it goes all the way back, you know, to his mother and his mother saying, these are the greats. These are the songs that endure. And these are the songs that still endure today. And like, that's what he wanted to do. And that's what he wanted to be. And he's more, <laughs> and he's more doing it than being it. And, you know, whether he's come to grips with that or not, you know, he's buying houses off the toilet. I guess he doesn't care at this point.
1: You know how, okay, you know how you know there's people that you know that are like, I'm so weird. And you're like, <laughs> no, babe, you're not. Do you know what I mean? Like, you you went to Urban Outfitters right. and you have a cool Etsy okay. store that yeah. you have, like, bookmarked. But then there's people that are so deeply actually weird that they're not even aware of it. Like, and you know that that's the authentic there's authentically yes. weird people, and mm-hmm. the hallmark usually of that is that they don't know or care about. They, it's just not something that even occurs to them. Like they think that's normal. Right. And it seems from how you're describing him, and also from the music that we've been listening to, that the dream cannot help but be weird. It's not an. It's not an affectation. No. It's not a hipster thing. Like we could make the argument like that. The weekend, whether or not it's authentic, he's very self-aware right. of what. Image he's portraying and what his songs are about. The dream is singing about sweating out someone's hairdo and, you know, I'll take you to the beautician after. Like, that's really genuine, but right. it's weird, <laughs> you know? And I don't, I think the self aware kind of hipster tied in weirdness just hits better culturally because people are also not weird. So they're able to, you know, connect with that. And I think weird. You know, I think you could make the argument that Kanye West is also one of the people who are authentically deeply weird. But it works better in rap music. For whatever reason, right. couching in our in our day mm-hmm. and age, couching that genuine weirdness in rap music, that flies. You know, we, we have Odd Future. Right. We have – it works now and people like it. But R&B is still kind of – it's a very – it's an old school music, right. you know, that like – like you're saying, like its roots are always going to be, it's traditional. It's in like Sam Cooke and, you know, later Michael Jackson and Prince. And while like they were all weird in their own ways and in a lot of ways that we haven't talked about yet and maybe don't need to yeah. get into, it doesn't leave a lot of room for that sort of nuanced weirdness. So it makes sense to me that he didn't make it in that way you know right
2: like i would be curious beneath all the bravado if he really did feel at the bottom of his heart that like Yamaha should have been a number one song. Like if he feels like with the right industry push you know if if the world had not wronged him then the dream the hyphen dream would be the biggest pop star in America. Like does he actually believe that he should be that or does he understand like as you say that he's just he can only be himself and you're right that like people would rather listen to D'Angelo. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that you're right that it's from the beginning, it's the dream was sort of a mixture of pure R and B sonically, but with an with a rap attitude. And it is this swagger and almost this ugliness and this fullness of yourself and just this discomfort. You know, and I do think that there's a hard ceiling on how far you can go as a pop star with the constant grievances that the dream has. And I, I do have to think at some level he has to be aware of that.
1: It's also what you're saying, the inverse exists in drake and it worked in drake right right the inverse of a rapper who has a r&b sensibility and that that sure. went you know but an r&b artist with a rap sensibility right. that didn't go um producer dylan <laughs> is screaming that she must have us know that at his shows he does go off on monologues about how he's I'm been sure, wrong so i'm sure he that's does true. feel yes. he has <laughs> um what do you love most about the dream and what song is that for you
2: he makes silliness feel profound i think that might be it and i think that Mm -hmm. is a genre free idea that i continually return to i believe that they might be giants were another band that i pitched to you i would not have (laughs) said sex jams one time Had you picked They Might Be Giants, there is no sonic or emotional or otherwise connection between They Might Be Giants and the dream other than me, first of all, (laughs) and most importantly, me. But second of all, they can only be themselves. They know it's not that Mm -hmm. you're as you say, I think you said it very well that they, they don't know they're weird, that you can't be weird on purpose. It's weird if you're trying to be weird on purpose. They can only be themselves. They can only do what they want to do. And they can only have the people come to them if the people are going to come to them. And they do. And they, they make silliness feel profound. It, co- it goes all the way back to Ella Ella Ella. Ella, Ella, Ella. The first time you hear Umbrella, you're just like, <laughs> what is happening? And by the end of the song, it's clear to you that this is a smash Hits that you're going to be talking about for the rest of your life. And you don't know why. And you can't understand how something that started that ridiculous ended up, you know, that stratospheric. And I I I think that is a singular talent that can't be taught and can't be manifested. It's just it has to be a very weird guy just doing the very weird thing that he does and trying to make it as mainstream, as palatable, as pop star as possible, and like failing in a way that is itself like beautiful and triumphant.
1: Okay, Rob, what's a song then that you think best, you know, embodies what you've just, this, the silliness that we hear, but I don't think is intended. Right? It's not an intentional silliness.
2: Let's go with "Makeup Bag," which is a song off his third record, off of Love King, the one with Yamaha on it. I, you know, he released this song as a single. I believe Ti is on this song. Like he, he, this is intended to be a pop hit, and it it was a minor hit. I don't, you know not in any chart sense, but like he tried and it sounded like he tried and it fits with the music that charted far higher than it. But like the concept of this song is that if you screw up and piss off your girlfriend, buy her a $5,000 bag and the dream implies, he doesn't imply he says explicitly that he does this all the time. He uses patroning as a verb in this song. It's two in the morning. (laughs) I've been all out patroning. You know, it's, I feel like the, Mm -hmm. the signature dream song has to include, Patron and it's, he's contractually obligated with his deal. Patron Venmo's him fifteen dollars every time he sings it. Uh, This is another candidate for a signature dream song. Another candidate for a song that could have you know in a perfect world you know been a number one hit. But you understand why it wasn't. But you love it for what it is. And I can't be as a great way to describe it. Silly. Is a great way to describe it, but I I love it for that, not in spite of that. So makeup bag is my answer.
1: Let's hear makeup bag. Um, a man who is known first and foremost for being hot and secondly for being an artist is on that side. That's true. Ti. This is a weirdly specific song. It's weirdly specific to say that I will spend $5,000 on a makeup bag for you. Not a purse. You could have just said a purse, but a makeup bag. Also, I noticed in one of the other songs he, oh, it's about making You're
2: realizing that double entendre. Yeah, yes. It's I,
1: I didn't realize cover. it. Dylan, yeah. producer Dylan told uh, okay. me. <laughs> I didn't catch it. smooth brain. That's all right. That's all right. I, I'm a little too fashion where I was like, ooh, you could get a really nice makeup bag for $5,000, especially from Hermes. (laughs) Like a gorgeous leather makeup bag from Hermes probably is $5,000. It is not about cosmetics. It can be. You can put whatever you want
2: in the bag. Any bag can be a makeup
1: Well, honestly, in that sense, then... Listen, the dream five k is. I mean, from what you're talking about, out all night patroning, and it sounds like you were cheating. You better pony up to ten k and get that ten Birkin. Ten
2: is what you're. You're, you're. You're. So we're negotiating now. This is. This is interesting.
1: If you can buy a boat at a house from yes, the toilet, maybe you could get your woman a, valid point. a Birkin bag, a makeup sir.
2: boat. How about that? Yes.
1: Yeah, a makeup Birkin is what I'm saying. Um, that was a fun song. I enjoyed that. Yes. Yes. What does it mean when hipster media makes you famous but the industry doesn't? Like the industry doesn't support it, but but it's pushed through by the failing right. Um, <laughs> I mean what complicates
2: the dream is that he was a huge industry success just not as himself.
1: But he must yeah. but he must not have had the support. Right. Like you have to think that like people pulling the strings could have gotten him on the radio they easily could have right like that's right we hear what gets on the radio you know but they chose not to yes they were like keep making us hits babe but we're not gonna let you yeah
2: no i think that's a good read of it i mean it's cocky is indisputable you know awful is on the table (laughs) i don't think the dream ever had visible audible discomfort with who liked him and why and in what guise. i don't think You know, if he was bothered by the idea of being a more hipster, a more critical phenomenon, you know, I don't think that made his list of grievances, which are many, of course, you know, it's just what he, he would just default to what has always sounded to me like just the pure Kanye West, like I am a genius and I am not fully respected as a genius vibe you know again for driving the sound of R&B in general and female R&B in particular like he's not getting the credit for what he did for the culture as a whole and whether you hail him as a songwriter or hail him as a solo artist that's not as important as just hailing him praising him deifying him all the time and there's been plenty of deification but just it's never going to be enough it's never going to be commensurate you're never going to love him as much as he loves him
1: okay rob well we spoke to some fans who actually love the dream as much as the dream loves the dream uh do you want to hear from them
2: i'm very excited please Let's
1: let's roll that beautiful bean footage Dream, Radio Killer ATL.
0: I'm a very, very serious fan of The Dream, one of the greatest underrated singer-songwriter-producers of our time, who's been keeping the R&B torch burning.
4: He's a modern-day prince. As far as an artist, he should be considered
3: magic. So I've been a fan of The Dream since since I heard Shorty is a Shit in 2007. I was living in a basement with two other guys in college, and that sound came out and became kind of an anthem for everything we did.
0: So when I think of the dream, I think of like the virtue of pettiness, the artistic <laughs> power of pettiness. But I think that pettiness, when you break it down, the actual appeal is that the man is funny. He's conversational. He's fucking real. He's not bullshitting you most of the time. But this of course is an addition to being precise and meta and just being a complete fucking pro when it comes to songwriting.
3: I wasn't as open-minded to pop music when I was in my mid-teens. And by the time that you know like Umbrella came out, I think that the the amount of substance in his production and his writing gave me a new open mind to things that are going on in the pop world that can evoke serious feeling. The dream is one of the most important artists of a generation. Now I don't really know where kids are discovering the dream at this point. Wherever you discover the dream from is gonna change your life.
0: So on one hand, he's kind of like this, (laughs) this like ratchet sex hero who's like, you know, swaggering around the club with his fucking fedora on with like a Patron bottle in his hands. But then there's this other side to him that comes through on albums like 1977 or like Love Versus Money, where you know he's kind of hurt and he's lost and he's spiteful and he's still drunk on Patron and he's, he's missing his mom. But you know, it's, it's fucking complicated, it's real.
3: He gave R&B and hip hop a shot in the arm. He was on everything. He brought a Southern edge to R&B music. He brought that street credibility, he brought that edge. You know, he brought some funk to it. I mean, the dude just does it all. Like, every song he is on is a banger. He just kind of, like, makes everything better, you know? He's like the the hot sauce of music. Like, just add him to every track, and the track will always be better.
0: The cool thing about Terius is that, like, he could have easily just sat back wrote his hits for the Rihannas and Beyonce's The World and just counted his money. But he's like, no, I'm gonna give you an album album. I'm gonna give you a bunch of album albums, fully integrated top to bottom with the narrative, with like DJ blends and with a bunch of fucking curveballs that are constantly deconstructing your idea of what like the dream sound is. Uh, Something like Fancy being a great example.
3: At the height of the Obama years, there was a lot of excitement and a lot of positivity. And hopefulness just period in the political environment and all others and with a lot of the dreams music i kind of found like a a very kind of celebratory obviously sexual vibe i really appreciate what he did for me as a dj because he slowed things down in the club And, you know, for that period between like 2008, 2011, you know, people didn't really want to slow things down. People didn't want to slow dance in the club. They didn't want to grind in the club the way they used to back in the day. And I'm talking about like, you know, the seventies and eighties, your parents' generation. So listening to the dream really brought a connection back to the club where you really wanted to spend that time with that person that you were with on the dance floor.
0: One of my best friends, their wedding song was Fruition, which is a like a deep cut of his that a lot of people really don't know. That was great to experience.
4: I've been so lucky to see him in these small venues where the crowd is just like, we are all there for him. We are singing along, dancing in a sweaty small room, just the biggest smiles on our face.
3: I started putting together mixtapes celebrating just his music. And then one day I get some random, DM from a guy named Shiv, who claimed to be Dream's manager, who said, oh, Dream's going on tour, and, and he loves what you're doing with his work and your mixes. And he, he says, clearly, you know his music better than he does, and all these sort of like one-liners. And I thought, yeah, right, there's no way. This is a cold call like this from an artist that I respect so much, no way. Well, it turns out it was true. Dream and I ended up going on tour two weeks later, and um, we continued to tour for years.
0: He's trying to feel love and make art fuck the other shit. What's really the difference between writing a catchy melody and having great sex? You know, like, I remember listening to Love Hate when I was writing about it a few years back, and um, this Eve Babbitt's quote came to mind. This is from Slow Days Fast Company, and she's bringing this dude to this restaurant with, like, trying to set a fucking vibe. And she says, here's a quote. I thought that going there with Sean with the rain outside would be an opportunity for high art. If you believe, as I do, that sex is art. Um, I think that Terry Snash would agree with that.
1: Do you think I could become David Matthews' DJ in a similar way?
2: Well, you got to start on those mega mixes, but yes, the answer is yes. You just got to reach out to Dave's manager, Shiv. Dave Matthews' <laughs> manager is also named Shiv. Uh, and you just, you got to do your best. You gotta You got to put two-step... Into uh, ants marching, just to seamlessly. To ants
1: marching, mash the up. There you go. How did you feel about those fans' thoughts, Rob? Did they kind of mirror your own? Did you learn about new uh, aspects of fandom that you yourself do not possess?
2: I believe so. Megan Garvey is one of my favorite writers, and so I was. Icon, shout to out hear Megan Garvey. From her, I I had erred in not mentioning the fedora previously. The fedora. Very important, Eve Babbitts also. Yeah, I very can't believe important. you didn't
1: even bring in Eve yeah, Babbitt. I
2: screwed that up. <laughs> I, I screwed up. But the virtue of pettiness, I really like that phrase. Um, the celebration of imperfection, the confidence of being human. I, I, yes, it's this. This mirrored my own thoughts, but but clarified them. I, I had never thought about. Like the Obama hopefulness, they sort of the the timeline sort of match up that the dream emerged during this no period. No shepherd, Ferry. You know, it's sort of a shepherd rose... fairy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sort of a smokescreen that that was a pure and simple and joyful time. Now, obviously, but there there was a certain hopefulness in the air. I I let's not talk about rock ism or poptimism but like the idea of the dream showing you that like pop music could be good or pop music could be pure or could be stylish in in a way that you'd never considered pop music before i think that was a common feeling at the time right there in the late 2000s when he emerged that just he was showing like actually pop can be good actually r&b can be pop you know, so those that resonates with me, but they all said it better than I've been saying it. So you just you can just kick me out of here and replace me with Megan Garvey.
1: You don't get to leave until we talk about if you feel that <sighs> she- sex is art. <laughs> Rob just Rob just okay. spit out his tea.
2: <laughs> you waited until I took a sip of tea before. I did. You said that I, I don't appreciate that. <laughs> I think I've discussed uh, uh, sex enough at this point. I, I'm retiring from that topic. We're um,
1: gonna make a supercut of every time you said sex jam. <laughs> <laughs> and release and, it as the promo for this episode. And,
2: and put it to the snare drum of ants marching, you know, in just yeah. eight minutes. That's and...
1: my mix that's going to get me hired.
2: Sex jam. Sex jam. Sex jam. Sex jam. It's called sex jams to you? like
1: Sex jams? I know. Send it to Shiv. <laughs>
2: Shiv's like... Sh-
1: Shiv, hook it up, You're bro. a genius. <laughs> well, I feel moved. Um, <laughs> I guess, like, it's... Sadly for me not for you probably mm. blessedly and and happily for you it's time to wrap up the episode i've learned a lot today and that's that's a rare explaining moment for me and i um now that i feel like a wild animal ready to hit the streets uh this summer mm-hmm. i think i'll have a better appreciation for the dreams ouvre. Um, mm. As before, when I spent every evening um, on the couch watching my medical dramas, there wasn't a lot yes. of need for the dream. But now, true mentally ill girl summer, I think will involve <laughs> a lot of soundtracking <laughs> by the dream. And also, I learned about a new Mariah Carey song that I deeply love. So I think okay, net... oh, I'm
2: thrilled. I'm thrilled to hear that. That's yeah, that's
1: good. Net net, this was a success.
2: I'm very relieved to hear that. But yes, the dream is the soundtrack to hot vax summer uh that makes that makes a lot of sense
1: well rob oh, boy. you're gonna you're <laughs> you're not quite done yet what song would you like to leave all of our uh Listeners who've made it this far, who knows how many people are still here—six like to seven. Five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, my, shiv, my wife. Shiv is shiv probably is not Shiv and <laughs> my wife.
2: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> and Zach for sure. Shout out Zach. Mm-hmm. Um, what song do you want to leave everyone with to end wrap this gorgeous episode up?
2: I think the smart play here is "Fall in Love Again," uh, Fela. Uh, which is uh, another thing about the dream is like the first ten to thirty seconds of a dream song are just this joyous burst of energy. It just immediately just hits you. Just the ad libs, the exuberance. I just in the first ten seconds of this song, it just has some quality that just you fall in love with it immediately. Like you're on board, you buy in immediately, and this happens constantly in his catalog for me. But I I do think, just as a pure joyous affair i think fila might be the purest song in his catalog and so we should have played it at the beginning maybe but we might as well just play it at the end for shiv
1: okay last sex jam y'all uh thanks so much (laughs) rob for joining us on bands flame today everybody no problem go listen to 60 songs that made the 90s um which is a much better show than this one And we'll see you next week on Bansplain. Thank you so much.
0: I just want to fall in love again make me fall in love again.
1: If you liked what you heard today, subscribe for more episodes of Bansplain only on Spotify. Our sex jam loving guest today was Rob Harvilla. You can read his brilliant writing on The Ringer and listen to his excellent show, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, right here on Spotify. Follow him on Twitter, at Harvilla. Huge thanks to the dream mega-fans you heard on this episode. Megan Garvey, Four Color Zach, Sarah Stewart, Sky, Jason Scott, Richard Treats Dryden, and Braden King. Bandsplane is a Spotify original show. This episode was produced by The Wind Beneath My Wings, producer Dylan, aka Dylan Tupper Rupert, and edited by Michael Hardman, with help from Casey Simonson and Tari Miller.